Good morning. I'm going to repeat what Josh just said. We are so glad to have our focus students back. Um, welcome this morning, and we do want to hear everything about winter camp. So make sure that you grab an adult before you leave and tell us what God did while you were there, uh, because that would be super encouraging to us. Um, but we've missed you, and we're really glad you're back. Um, Catherine was talking about her new niece and how that reminded her of the love that God has for us. And while Josh is doing announcements, I'm standing over here watching, and Ari's standing on the floor, and he's going, <laughs> waving at him, which Josh never saw. But that kind of love that you get from a child and you have when you look at a child is definitely the way our father loves us Catherine so thanks for giving us that visual this morning so we are in a sermon series on the book of Luke fulfilled in Christ we're taking Luke chapter by chapter last week Josh talked about Luke chapter 2 and he talked about the part where Jesus was lost and then found in the temple and he invited us to consider that Jesus prioritized the Father, that he dealt with the tension the same as we do of having earthly parents and a heavenly Father, and that he grew and matured and learned, and so should we if we're going to follow him. This week, we're starting in chapter 3, and so I'm just going to give you a quick recap and um, in chapter 3, we see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus by preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness. And the crowd begins to wander, wonder, is John the Messiah? And he very quickly sets them straight by saying, one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. We read that Herod imprisoned John because John rebuked him for all of the evil things he had done. And then we come to the baptism of Jesus. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. I want to encourage you that as we go through the book of Luke to bring a physical Bible with you. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that you can highlight things that you want to remember. One is you can make notes in the margins or at the bottom. And it becomes a tool to remind ourselves of truth, but also to be able to share with other people. So I would just encourage you, I know that having it on your phone, it's easy to find different translations because we use different ones sometimes but I think you miss out on the opportunity to really make your Bible something that's useful to you for yourself and for others. Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Just a reminder that we're focusing on the person of Jesus. So we're looking at his characteristics, his qualities, his habits. 
We're looking at what are the things we can imitate in his life. And we get more out of scripture if we don't just read over it, but we ask ourselves questions as we read through. Now, the thing about questions is that scripture was not always written to answer our questions, but at least thinking through our questions and see does scripture address this, or to even take the time to decide if scripture addresses this, will help us to get more out of scripture. So the first question that comes to my mind when I'm reading about Jesus' baptism is, what do you think? What do you think is my first question? What is your first question? Why? Yeah, why? Why is Jesus being baptized? John was baptizing for repentance of sins and for forgiveness. Jesus didn't need that, so what was he doing here? What was this about? And in those two little verses we just read, Luke doesn't really tell us why. But if we go back and look at Matthew, Matthew seems to have more of the same question in mind that we do, or at least to be answering the same questions we have. So if we go back to Matthew 3, 13 through 15, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. While Jesus was not a sinner and he didn't need to repent and be cleansed of his sins, he did want to confirm that God sent him to be with sinful humanity, that God sent him as a human being. And Jesus says that he will always do what's right in God's eyes. And the voice from heaven confirms this. The voice from heaven, God's voice, says Jesus isn't just another sinner that came to be baptized. He is the perfect, sinless son of God, and God is pleased with his obedience through which salvation will be offered to sinners. In Luke, it seems that what he's pointing out is that Jesus begins his public ministry with the blessing of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And through Jesus, we have access to the same things. We have access to the blessing of the Father and access to the power of the Holy Spirit. And all I can think to say about that is, wow, praise God that we have access to God's blessing and to the power of the Spirit. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? What does he do for us? Those are questions you can ask yourself from this passage. And we're going to come back to those in a little bit. But what I see when I ask the question, why was Jesus baptized? What I learn from this is that Jesus didn't do things because he needed to or because he had to. He did them because they were right in God's eyes and he wanted to please the Father. The second question I have when I read through this section is, 
Why did Luke include that Jesus was praying? None of the other gospel writers include that detail in the baptism of Jesus. John focuses more on the divine side of Jesus, but what we see with Luke is that he points out the humanity of Jesus. And because he's careful to point out the humanity of Jesus, he's also careful to point out references where Jesus is praying or where other people are praying. Prayer is found 41 times in the book of Luke, depending on what version you're looking at. Nine of those times are Jesus praying, and seven of those nine are only recorded in Luke. Luke has a focus on Jesus praying and on prayer itself. Luke shows Jesus praying at or leading up to all the crucial turning points in his life. Turning points like we see here, his baptism, choosing the 12 disciples after a day of miracles and healing, the transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross, to name a few. Also, it's only Luke's gospel that points out that Jesus was praying when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This passage does not directly tell us what Jesus was praying for, but what happens next may be a clue to the answer, because when we pray, we should always be looking for what happens next after we've prayed. And so what happens next here is that the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God verbally expresses that he was his son and that he was pleased with him. So I think that we can probably take a pretty educated guess that maybe Jesus was praying for a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that would show that he was God's son and had God's blessing at the start of his ministry. Don't know that, have no way to prove that, but it seems like maybe a logical thing to assume he was praying. Luke emphasizes the human side of Jesus, and that's why we get to see him in prayer and why we get to see how God answered those prayers. If Jesus trusted that the Father would answer his prayers, then we can as well. If Jesus trusted that the Father would answer his prayers, then we can as well. We can learn a lot, as the disciples did, by looking for when Jesus prayed, how he prayed, and why he prayed. So as you're reading through the book of Luke, that's another thing to be aware of. Why was, and asking yourself, why was Jesus a man of prayer? So in asking the question, why did Jesus pray? I think the thing that I see about his character is he didn't have to pray, but he did because he wanted to be close to the Father, he wanted to be in relationship with him, and he wanted the Father's will. So the third question, and this one's just kind of a, um, maybe a more curious question, is why did the Holy Spirit come as a dove? Like in other places, the Holy Spirit came as tongues of fire, and those two things seem very different. Like when you think of a dove, are you immediately afraid? Are you like, oh my goodness, the dove, I'm terrified. 
No, because a dove suggests to us love and gentleness and innocence. It's not fierce like a hawk or an eagle. It was simple. It was common. It was innocent. It was the kind of bird poor people could offer as a sacrifice. And so for this one, in trying to figure out what possibly could it have meant that the spirit came as a dove, I'm reminded of Isaiah 42. This prophecy about Jesus includes the words that God spoke when Jesus was baptized, not in the exact wording that he said it, but very much the same thing, that you are my beloved son and I am well pleased. And it goes on to say, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he does not snuff out. Listen to that again. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he does not snuff out. The beauty of this picture is that Jesus has the power to bring justice to the nations, to bring sight to the blind, to bring freedom for the captives, and release from the dungeon to those who sit in darkness. That's the kind of power Jesus brings with him. However, he will not use that power to break a bruised reed or to snuff out a smoldering wick. He will be tender with the weak. He will be dove-like, not hawk-like. And we see Jesus live this out in the Gospels. We see where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He preaches good news to the poor. He preaches, he hangs out with those who are rejected by both social and religious circles. He goes to the houses of the marginalized. He came for the reeds and smoldering wicks of the world. And the power of the Holy Spirit will be both dove-like, as exemplified here, and fire-like, as seen in other places in the Bible. Now, I want you to take a second and think about who do we see people Jesus was good news to? What kinds of people do we see that Jesus was good news to? Well, we've already talked about poor and outcasts and marginalized, but more specifically, prostitutes, lepers, demon-possessed, blind, adulterers, oppressed, desperate. But some of them were also tax collectors and Roman soldiers. Why would Jesus extend an invitation to the kingdom to the people that, that, that Israel thought he was going to squash with his power? Why would he let them into the kingdom? Because they needed salvation too, they needed good news too, and because the best way to turn enemies into friends is for them to know Jesus and to become like him. It's the best way to change the world. Salvation is for everyone and it is for the good of everyone. And so I think we need to be really careful about who we decide not to extend the gospel to. Jesus didn't do that. 
Jesus saw that he was the answer to whatever it was that they were doing that made them enemies. So this is kind of a side note, but I couldn't let this go by. Another thing that we notice here is that the three persons of the Trinity are all present. They're all manifested here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus, the beloved son, is being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes in bodily form like a dove, and the voice of God the Father is heard. And I just think, how powerful is that? What a witness to Jesus is that? How beautiful is that, that they're all there together to start Jesus' ministry? So what I want you to remember from this, and actually I want to go back and make uh, one distinction here. In John 3, 16 it, and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Most of us know that part. But the next part is, God did not send his Son to condemn the world, but to save them through him. Are people going to be condemned? Yes, but it was not the reason Jesus came. He came to save. And so we need to be people who come to save. Jesus did not use his power to break the weak, but rather to bring good news. And Jesus is not always going to be a gentle dove because sometimes what a person needs to come to salvation is a swift kick in the rear. They need to be gotten out of their comfort zone, and Jesus was not afraid to do that. We see that in scripture, but he didn't come to crush people. He came to save them, and so we can trust the times that we see him in a sense that to us may seem unloving or may seem crushing. He did it for their salvation. So Jesus did not use his power to break the weak, but rather to bring good news to them. Our umbrella value at Denton North Church is simple devotion to Jesus. And what I mean by umbrella is it's the umbrella under which our other values fall. We are simply devoted to Jesus. That means we're getting up every day and living for him and living like him. But as we start going through Luke and we start looking at the character of Jesus, my question becomes, how do we do that? How do we do things because they're right in God's eyes and not because we have to? How do we do things not to earn God's love, but to know that we receive his love no matter? How do we pray to seek the Father and his will and not just for our wants? How do we seek to not snuff out the smoldering wick in people, but rather fan it into flame? How do we love God and love people like Jesus did? Well, if we go back to John the Baptist in chapter 3, 15 through 17, I'm going to read this from the message version, but I think we'll find the answer to this. The interest of the people by now was building. They were all beginning to wonder, could this John be the Messiah? But John intervened. I'm baptizing you here in the river. The main character in this drama, Jesus, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, 
will ignite the kingdom life, a fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sleep of sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. He is changing you from the inside out. Although John baptized people to show they had repented and been forgiven of their sins, his baptism didn't give them any power to live a pure life. That's why he said, there is one who's coming who will baptize with the fire of the Holy Spirit because he knew the Holy Spirit is what gives us the power to change from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is a cleansing fire the Holy Spirit begins to burn our hearts. And when you burn something, you burn off the things that are not useful, the things that are not good. And that's what he's doing in our hearts. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to purify our hearts, to make us a new creation. The Holy Spirit is who changes us to be like Jesus. And without that, we're lost. <laughs> we have no hope of being like Jesus without the power of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Praise God. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed to be like Jesus. How do we do what Jesus is, what Jesus did? By the power of the Spirit he gives us. We cannot do it on our own. How do I know that? Because I've tried, and it doesn't work. But just this Friday, I had to go through this process of surrendering to the Spirit to help me do something I didn't want to do. See, I had some meetings scheduled, and one of those was a Bible study. And all of that was with people I love to be with and doing things I love to do. But I had a sermon to write, and I had only had maybe an hour to work on it, and it was Friday. The thing about studying the Bible with someone is that you need to be prepared when you do it. And so we've been doing a study on the story of the Bible as a whole. There are five days of work to do and then a 40-minute video to watch. And I had done three days and nothing else. And so I knew that doing that, I was going to need to prepare, and that was going to take a while, and then I was going to have a meeting, and then I was going to have another meeting. And so that was going to leave me with no time to work on my sermon. So my idea was I'm going to cancel on these people and I'm going to reschedule with them and do it another time so I can write this sermon. But the problem with that is the Holy Spirit has worked on me long enough that I know I need to ask God if those are his priorities, that mine don't always line up with his. And I did not want him to say no. I did not want him to speak to me the truth 
that people are more important. I just didn't want to hear it. I wanted to work on my sermon so I wouldn't be anxious about getting it done over the weekend. And if I didn't ask God, if I didn't ask the Holy Spirit, or invite the Holy Spirit in to help here, then I could just plead ignorance. Does anybody relate to that at all with anything? I mean, I know that's specific to what I do, but replace it with whatever your struggle is. So what I did is I surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit, and I just told God the truth, which I do a lot. I just said, God, I don't want to do what it is you want me to do if it's this. I just don't want to. I want to be able to work on this, and I want to be able to get it done. And I explained the whole thing to them, and here is what came to mind. Do you want to write a sermon or be a sermon? Now, I know that that was from God because I don't think things like that on my own. (laughs) That was from him. I had heard that the night before at a place I had been, and I don't even think that's what he said. I think it's what I heard. But God used it to say to me, here are my priorities. What are you going to do? And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to do the things that you've told me are priorities today. Now, this was nothing new to me. Ronnie Worsham is here this morning, and Ronnie is the pastor, was the pastor of our church in Garland when we first started it. Now he's moved into a role where he consults with all the churches, and so we're blessed to have him here this morning. But when I first went on staff at Garland Northeast, Ronnie told me, you have a lot of admin work to do, but if nothing else gets done, I want you to take care of people. So that had been in my mind for literally years, with the Holy Spirit slowly working to make that part of who I am. But still, there are days I just don't want to. I just want what I want. So I told God I would do it. Well, Kurt and I also had gotten away from practicing Sabbath. And so one of the things in the new year that we did was block out our time for Sabbath. And so we were doing Sabbath from six o'clock Friday night until noon on Saturday. So my next thought was, I'll just skip Sabbath and work on my sermon. (laughs) And then the Holy Spirit asked the annoyingly convicting question, isn't the point of Sabbath that God will work while you rest? That you need to rest and trust him? So I Sabbathed, (laughs) but I told God that I was counting on him to put together this sermon. So, if you don't like it, take it up with God. (laughs) And I think all of us have experienced times when we've told God and ourselves, I'm going to be different. I'm going to do better. I promise I'm going to be a different man or woman. But John the Baptist's words echo, let's see the fruit of it. Let's see the changes in your life. And this struggle is part of our lifelong battle against doing what we want to do. We are weak. 
God knows we are weak. He knows it far better than we do. And he's made a provision for it. And that's precisely why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit who works to make us more and more like Jesus. What a great encouragement to know that we don't have to stay trapped in our sin. We don't have to be in an endless cycle of defeat after defeat with no way out. Will you show the slide that I sent? Okay, so I want you to look at this really carefully. Notice the Holy Spirit clamping the mouth shut. But here's the thing. I can't just say, Holy Spirit, clamp my mouth shut. He doesn't work like that. And why doesn't he? Because I want to do something different. I want to unleash about how arrogant or ignorant or wrong someone is. I don't want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I need a heart change, not just a behavior change. And Romans 12, 2 tells us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The Spirit works to renew our minds, which produces renewed thinking, renewed desires, renewed motives, renewed behaviors. The change happens from the inside out. The Spirit changes our hearts to become more like Jesus and to want to do the right thing. He doesn't just control us. Jesus didn't do that, the Father doesn't do that, and the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. It's always our choice. And the choice we have to make is to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's saying yes to the Holy Spirit's leading and no to sin. We become like Jesus and we do the things he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So just to review, Jesus didn't do things because he had to. He did them because they were right in God's eyes and he wanted to please God. Jesus didn't have to pray, but he did because he wanted to be with the Father and he wanted his will. Jesus did not use his power to break the weak, but rather to bring good news to them. And we become like Jesus and do the things he did when we surrender to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, it amazes me what we can learn through two verses of scripture. Mm -hmm. What we can see about your heart and your character and the things that we need to imitate as we live our life with you and for you. We are thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. Without that power to transform and change us to be like Jesus, there is no way that we could look anywhere close to him. I pray that you'll give us the courage, that you'll give us the trust to surrender to his transforming power. God, we want nothing more than to walk out into the world this week and to take you with us and to please you and glorify you in everything we do. 
Please don't let us miss those opportunities. Open our eyes to people we can share the gospel with. Open our eyes to ways we can serve and ways we can be light in ways that we can look like our master. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.